0: Hi, listeners. This is Jameer Abney. I'm checking in with the barbershop group. I'm excited. This is my first interview that I'll be doing as a co-host as part of the team. Uh, with uh the barbershop group i'm going to be joined here um, today by ben uh, one of the great people that we found um, doing some interesting work and having an interesting story that involves a book bin in his community and neighborhood um, so first want to give ben the opportunity to introduce himself tell you a little bit about who he is uh, maybe tell you a little bit about this interesting story and then we want to talk about um how ben found us uh, what made him follow the page um, what has interested him about um, the barbershop group and learn a little bit more about his professional experience, um, background story, and some of the work that he's doing in diversity and inclusion. So Ben, I'll open the floor to you to introduce yourself a little bit, tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about the story of the book, Ben, in your community.
1: Sure, absolutely. Thanks, Jameer. So my name is Ben Schneider, originally from Fond du Lac, Wisconsin. It's just about an hour north of Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I'm 32, I've lived, born and, and raised here in Wisconsin my whole life, so my, my background, um, primarily involved in corporate selling and corporate training, which we'll talk a lot more about in the next, you know, half hour or so here. And I think the the story that you allude to was regarding there was a book bin in a suburb of Milwaukee. So the last few months has been very beautiful. And if anybody knows Wisconsin, we get maybe five or six really nice months of the year and the rest of the time, we're pretty much locked indoors. So I had been taking a lot of just long walks where it's either reflective, listening to music, listening to playlists. And really a couple of weeks ago, um, if you're familiar with kind of the, the little libraries that are a lot of, at a lot of street corners and things like that, I was walking through a, a suburb and there was a lot of books in there that were pretty easy reads. There was some Harry Potter, there was some the Fault in My Stars, whatever the kind of the classic reads are, and if we look at what's been going on in the last few months uh, with conversations about injustice, police brutality, racism, everything that's happened with George Floyd, Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, there's so much information and education that's out there and available to people, especially some great anti anti racist resources that if people aren't really consuming and acknowledging now, like what is it going to take for people to acknowledge them? So I had a, a number of books that I've read through as part of my my own anti-racism journey, so to speak, How to Be an Anti-Racist by Dr. Kendi. Um, I had one called Citizen. And I also put in a couple other ones. This book is anti-racist. And after my walk, I literally drove back to this this little library and put those books in there in a very prominent fashion. Part of that was, again, these books at the time were fairly hard to to get. I know Amazon, local bookstores were pretty much out of stock because so many people are trying to read them. Mm -hmm. I also think, you know, knowing what, what we know about the suburbs and how those were created through redlining and how suburbs are predominantly white, predominantly for a specific reason, and over decades and decades that's remained the case, I feel like the suburbs definitely need to get uncomfortable. And that's a big generic statement. And me putting four books into a library isn't gonna, you know, right the wrongs of of decades and decades of injustice there. But I think it was just a statement of, and then the reason I posted it too was, there's very little small things that any of us can do to either make a statement that might end up being more of a performative statement, but maybe through that there's one or two people that think, hey, that's a great idea. Or maybe there are, in my hope, four or five people that walked away with those books and actually learned something from them. Mm -hmm. And maybe those people have an audience of you know 50 people, 100 people that they could bring some of that knowledge to. So again, that was just, it was a combination of just kind of frustration seeing some very basic easy type of material when at this time more so than ever before there's just so much information available that it's there's no excuse not to be taking advantage
0: of it no no definitely and clearly we noticed and we think it's it's great that you took that additional step Gave that access um, to people to be able to read some good reads and to learn something that I think as you talked about it is very timely and important. um, In this current dynamic and what's happening across the country and across the world. So kudos to you for for taking the time and the energy and to to see something And to be willing to to even in just a small way to try to impact um, your local community and thinking about the broader um, Historical aspect when you talk about things like redlining and how the suburbs came to be so I think definitely that's a, a great way to be able to say invite that conversation to the table for people and to make people a little bit uncomfortable to see something like that they wouldn't be expecting in their their bookman is there they're out on their nature walk so I think that's a a great step and a great opportunity to to help people stop to think and maybe do a little bit of critical self-assessment for sure and so sure. you talked about um being surprised or not knowing people would see this um first I want to hear about how you found um, barbershop group obviously we found you because of uh, this story and then also maybe how this translator is involved with your work you talked about corporate sales a little bit
1: yeah absolutely and i think i started following the barbershop group i would say end of last year into early this year part of it was work related and part of it was personal related you know on the work side so i work now i work with a liquor and wine distributor in the state of wisconsin and I'm on our wellness committee, and then I also head up our diversity and inclusion committee. And there's a ton of overlap in those things that we'll kind of you know talk through here today as well. But part of the wellness side, we were talking a lot about mental health, mental health awareness. So I started following, I believe it was just mental health hashtag on Instagram. And then I saw your group and it really jumped out just because it is solely focused for men, but a lot of the overlap of the topics that are important for men can be fully realized and taken advantage of by anyone. So I think if there is any group of, of people that need to really grasp and look at themselves in the mirror and look at how we deal with things or suppress things or have been taught to you know be conditioned to suppress things, it is men. So what, what really um, stood out with your group was that not only do you bring up, again, some very hard hitting topics that a lot of people, especially men aren't comfortable talking about or looking at themselves in the mirror about, but you also give recommendations and resources to them as well. So it's not just, Hey, think about this topic. Here's why it's important. It's also, Hey, here's some apps. Have you considered, have you considered meditation? Have you considered different types of, of you know, therapy or counseling? Uh, and then from a personal side, you know, so that was more the, the work side that brought me there from a personal side, I've had a number of friends and family members uh, struggle with either minor to major mental health issues. And I wanna be able to be a support to them as best as possible. And I feel like I have to better understand a lot of those different um, issues. Myself, I've come to terms with dealing with anxiety, um, taking a lot of good steps towards handling that. And then for myself too, I'm also going through a fairly large life transition where a lot of things are kind of getting uprooted and I'll be moving out and moving back downtown and some, some changes there. So it, again, it's a time now more than ever that I need to make sure I'm focused on things that are going to give me a clear mind and how to, how to handle a lot of, um, a lot of things going on. Definitely, um, definitely. And, like, and then I think with, with your group and what's really some of the key things that I've continued to, to view and really be, um, drawn towards I love the focus on the five different focuses of health that you talk about. So it's it's the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the social, and the financial. And a lot of times I would say again, we've kind of been conditioned as men. And again, I I'll, I'll talk in a lot of generalities. So there's always outliers and things like that. But as men, I think the one that stands out the most is the is the mental component. You know, a lot of men are grown up thinking we have to be strong, we have to be stoic we can't talk about our feelings, if we show feelings, we're weak. And in reality, the people, the men that focus on their mental health, I think are the strongest because they've not only overcome those kind of stigmas, they've learned that there's so much support available to help get your mental mindset right. And in turn, the physical, the spiritual, the social, the financial, all of those can follow if you're in that right mindset. And also what that can prevent is some of the classics of either friendships or relationships where, you know, it helps you prevent either holding things in or not being honest with people or letting things ruminate, all of that builds up into potential explosions. It could be uh, violent outbursts, it could be anger, resentment towards even a significant other or friend, and Understanding the mental component, seeking either help or therapy or uh, just conversation can hopefully help prevent some of those outbursts and even going back into you know infidelity infidelity ego all those type of things can be understood if you focus on on your health your mental health
0: definitely and I think you bring up a lot of great points about kind of social dynamics and how we're traditionally kind of framed as, as men to be to be put in these categories or think about ourselves in a particular way and the issues around masculinity and avoiding emotion and confronting um, certain challenges. And I think definitely what this organization and this group is really trying to do is help men come to come to terms with certain things and be willing to, to have conversations and to seek out help and seek out a variety of different supports um, that they can do independently or seeking out actual professional resources But you talk about the five different categories, understanding how they're interwoven and how they connect and thinking about your overall fitness and health and wellness. And you talk about being a part of the two different groups that work, the wellness group and then um, this diversity committee. And you talk about how they're interconnected, like how have you seen that play out and how some of these um, different areas um, with the barbershop group also have, have been maybe useful there.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it can go into a lot of different areas, especially when you come into kind of racial dynamics and are there certain groups of individuals that have less access to, you know, mental health services or um, I know that mental health, primarily therapists and kind of formal uh, individuals that are in that field are predominantly white. So if I'm a person of color, can I feel that I can totally trust somebody that might be you know, a white person? Or will I be more open if I can see kind of myself in the person that I'm actually talking to? And if I don't feel confident that I could do that, would that prevent me from wanting to go talk to somebody? Um, also, if you look at more the wealth disparity, is there certain groups of individuals that will typically make less money than others and does that extra stress of making the less money the financial side how much of an effect does that have on mental physical health it has a ton so even then going back into kind of the generational trauma or different makeups of um, how you live and if you're in multi-generational families all these different stresses can come in and the the again the the mental health side and the stress um, comes into play there and i think it's also obviously now with covid everybody is going through a form of a traumatic experience a lot of people's lives were uprooted a lot of people's lives we've had to change a number of different things but then imagine if you already had so many other stresses plus if you're a person of color and you're seeing systemic racism and you're oppressed, that's all forms of trauma. So again, the individuals and I think my minority groups with the access and everything are at times at a disadvantage to either this education or the access to it. And that's a a major issue.
0: Definitely, definitely. And I think you you point to all the the different ways that some of this can build on top of one another, which is such a difficult thing, I think, for some people to to take into account when you think about people's fitness, people's mental health, their ability to access resources and what is even available to them to confront or deal with some of the things that might be going on um, in their lives. And so in thinking about um, this group and the work that you're doing, as well as some of the personal experiences that you alluded to, how would you say or how would you expand upon how the barbershop group has has impacted you personally? And also, um, you talked about some of your own family history with mental health and some of your own challenges with anxiety, like is there more to your personal story and experiences that you think this group has helped with or other areas that you think will be valuable for people um, to seek out resources and support from?
1: Absolutely. And I think the um, anything from the, the posts that your group puts out, sometimes that could be used directly in conversations with others, or I can send that to people that I know might be going through something similar. For me personally, a lot of what you've talked about and helped with is all around just the thought process. And through some counseling on, on, of my own, learning a lot about just our thoughts we have the ability to either attach or detach ourselves from those thoughts. And we look at kind of the concept, I think you've also talked about the concept of like the inner child, mm-hmm. the person that we grew up as that we're always as an adult trying to protect and how we could take some of those insecurities, be it if we experienced some trauma growing up or some insecurities or you know, if we felt we lacked in certain areas, all of that still comes back if it's not addressed as adults, because we're always trying to protect that inner version of ourselves. So I think when, when your group talks a lot about, and very openly about, you know, um, those type of concepts, knowing what thoughts that I can latch on or avoid, and knowing how that's going to help me go through my day, knowing again that just all the thoughts that are in our minds are our stories. I think your group also just, I say openness a lot, but I know Charles has posted a ton about his personal history and you know, being suicidal as a teen and as an adult. And I just think the more and more you see people talking about that, it just gives you almost that, not that you need permission, but it's almost that confidence to wanna talk about it too. And then the more people that talk about it also just continue to help others open up about it. Cause they're really, I think some of the most productive conversations that I've had have been centered around people being vulnerable or being vulnerable with them as well. And a lot of times that's sharing, you know, the stuff that we're all going through, how's your day going? What are some of the challenges? And through that, I've been able to connect with people that I might not have talked to in, you know, five, 10 years. But again, it's just that the constant urge that you guys give to be more open and be more vulnerable. And then I I also have I think you guys do a really great job when it comes to kind of talking about celebrity news Mm -hmm. and and I kind of go back to the Will Smith and Jada Smith uh, interview that was semi-recent and I was guilty of sharing some memes and talking about the entanglement with August and things like that but Mm -hmm. what your group does is reminds people that you know I think I think we all have our own relationships that we know the most about. Then we have our friends and families that we probably know some about their relationships. And then through what we're, you know, taking from social media and on the news, that next level is probably what's going on with celebrities. And a lot of times it can just be surface level, can be taken as a joke, can be made fun of, things like that. But your group reminds people that these people are also human beings. They're being incredibly vulnerable right now on a, massive stage that none of us are ever going to understand the enormity of you know, the number of people that are going to be seeing them being vulnerable and with Will and Jada it's very much like these are two very human beings you can take a lot from the relationship that they're displaying in front of you right now if you want to there are some serious good lessons about it how both people maybe there was infidelity they talked through it what are the things they could have done differently and I'm not saying to go rush out to you know, celebrities and try to follow their lifestyles. But I think it it just brings everything back down to a groundedness there.
0: No, I totally hear you. And I think that idea, like talk about normalizing that everybody goes through stuff, normalizing that vulnerability, being willing to talk about your challenges and the hard things and recognizing that everything isn't always all good. And I think in particular, you talk about sharing posts with your friends or sharing some of these thoughts and ideas with groups of people that are close to you. That's something that I've tried to do with my, especially my male friend group. And we have a group um, Message that that we use to kind of keep in touch with each other as we're now spread across different parts of the country. Like, what has been like, how have you seen, I guess, people respond to some of that? Like, what have you seen in your community of, of people as you share some of these posts?
1: I think it's overall very positive. And I think it's started with, you know, very direct conversations either by myself or other friends. So I have, I would say there's a group of probably 12 to 15 males that are very close to me, incredible support system. And really over the last two or three years, we've gotten very comfortable with expressing, hey, I'm feeling down. I'm not feeling great. Here's why. And some of that was triggered by you know, there's a couple of my friends that were going through some very secret battles that you would have never known because we didn't necessarily think to ask about it, to check in. And these were happening for months and months where, you know, later it came out, whatever they were dealing with. But it just, it reminds you that you gotta be checking in and talking with people because everybody's going through something. Everybody's gonna have a different amount of comfortability of what they want to talk about. Sometimes it is just that question of, hey, how's everything going? That'll take, you know, one person to start spilling what's going on. Mm-hmm. So um, gotten a lot better where it's expected that we're going to check on each other. We know we're going through things and it should be at the, the forefront of, of our, our minds. And same with family members, too. It's, I think for some some relationships it might have taken kind of this COVID and this pandemic to really say hey I know for a fact you are also going through something right now let's talk about it.
0: Mm -hmm. No I totally hear that and that's and that's great that you you found that place with with a group of other men and even with family members to be able to kind of like really focus in and talk about stuff that's hard so that's awesome Um, and what um, other tips would you give to people or, or learning experiences that you've gotten um, that you feel like are important for folks to know, especially to think about ways to to kind of build those bridges and, and connection points with other people? I think,
1: uh, yeah, that's a great question. I think sometimes it takes maybe you showing a bit of vulnerability or starting with what you're comfortable talking about kind of allowing them to respond and think about never forcing a conversation if somebody's not comfortable with it, but really almost saying, hey, I'm totally willing and you can expect me to continue to talk about this. So if you don't want to talk about it now, just <laughs> expect me to bother you for a while about it. But I think it is just that, that openness and even the sharing of resources. I do find that if I start a conversation and share something that I think somebody would benefit from usually they'll replicate, uh, reciprocate that back and share something back and you have a nice conversation there as well. Um, and then I think from a, a work standpoint, we'll kind of get into this too with diversity and inclusion. I think it's setting sometimes, setting the expectations of what is okay and what's not okay to, to talk about with your coworkers. So if you think about from an HR standpoint, there are certain things that should be escalated more so to somebody with an HR background. There are things that, you know, from a mental health standpoint, our company is very lucky to work with kind of an EAP program. So if we have counselors we want to talk to or call, we can. Um, but it is letting people know that it, there are certain conversations that they think might be uncomfortable. But now we have a common language and we want to get comfortable having these conversations. And a lot of that ties into anti-racism and racism. Some of the work I've done with diversity inclusion that now the company is starting to um get a little more comfortable talking about, for example.
0: No, I totally hear that. And I think it's important, like, whether it's in the workplace and knowing where to elevate a conversation or transition or be able to mention resources that exist or in your personal life with people. I think sometimes, like, being the example yourself and saying, hey, I've sought out these supports and resources sometimes can be really useful as well. So I think definitely understanding relocation, understanding the dynamics of the situation, I think, as as you allude to, is really important but also sometimes I think willing to be the vulnerable party, I think can can be helpful for people as well. So totally agree with you there, Ben. Um, anything else that um, you think, as you think about some of what we talked about and some of the, the different areas that we've touched on that, that um, is important to you that you wanna make sure um, you reflect on or spend some time talking about?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, a lot of what, um, I'd like to touch on some of the the specific anti-racism work in addition to to the library there um, and I'll give you a little bit of my background I think the the point I want to really emphasize is that I feel like white men specifically primarily will listen first and mostly to other white men and that's at a detriment of even their significant others they might seek out the you know the advice and that's why as a white male I feel that I, as well as all white males do have an obligation to speak up when it comes to racism and anti-racism. And that was not always the case. So what I wanna point out and make very clear is, I am by no means special or unique. And I don't mean that in a self-deprecating, like I'm a fairly average white male. And, but why I say that is that I've found comfort and the ability to have very important conversations that are actually causing action and getting people to feel more comfortable about topics that really we should know about and should have known about for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And kind of my background, so I grew up again in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin, a very white neighborhood probably 45,000, 50,000 people. And I went to Catholic high school through, uh, uh, Catholic school through high school. That's a whole nother topic we can get into another time. (laughs) Again, predominantly white and I didn't meet the the first black person I met probably wasn't until I was 14 or 15, which I think is probably fairly common for white individuals that grew up in predominantly white areas. And before that, a lot of my mindset of either black people or people of color was driven by what I saw in the news. If you think about Fond du Lac being a smaller town outside of Milwaukee, the only time Milwaukee really got brought up was mostly for, for bad reasons. And that could have been violence, it could have been shootings. A lot of whatever gets the ratings for the Fond du Lac news was, was making its way up. And all that did was paint um, some racist ideas into my head. And then I carried those with me through high school, even into um, college. So I went to UW-Milwaukee, Thinking back now, I've taken a lot of time to think about, again, I primarily had a a white group of friends, primarily interacted mostly with white individuals. I brought a lot of that racial kind of microaggressions with me where anything from if I saw a group of, of black people on the sidewalk that I was on, there was times where I would cross the street. I don't really know why, looking back, I know It's because of the ideas that I had that were racist and and wrong. Mm -hmm. Something as, as silly as, you know, driving five to 10 miles out of the way to go to a gas station in a suburb that was supposedly safer. So again, those mindsets of what's a safe place. I've now know that I was attaching that to primarily white neighborhoods or where should I not go? What's unsafe, what is all these things? So the reason I bring that up is I very much was in that kind of bubble of white privilege. I was born as a white male for random reasons, no actual tangible evidence to why. I was given a head start compared to people that are not white males, and looking at that and accepting that has then allowed me to educate and act uh, moving forward. so And again, if this is long-winded, please cut me off. (laughs) uh, No, not at all. So, uh, you know, after, after college, I met a former significant other. And they were in the mental health field. They worked primarily with children and their families, their parents, a lot of times in the city of Milwaukee. And this person challenged me a lot when it came to my thinking, my thought process. If I would come home and complain about something that, in reality is incredibly minuscule. And in reality, I really didn't have a problem. I was just complaining for the sake of complaining. They helped me understand that a lot of that was, again, tied back to white privilege. I get to sit and complain about things that aren't actually important. I am not actually struggling. And you know, this person obviously never mentioned specific stories or clients that they worked with but they definitely dealt with either family trauma, single parent families. A lot of it was minority individuals, a lot of low income individuals. And I think just sitting and understanding that there's a whole different world, especially when it comes to Milwaukee. Milwaukee, an incredibly segregated city. There's a whole different world from what I understand, literally two miles away from where I live. my life was set up that if I wanted to continue to avoid realizing this world exists, I could absolutely do that. And I have seen countless examples of where people just go on and continue again. I I call it kind of the the white bubble because that's how things have been set up. There are systems in place to make it very easy for white people to stay around other white people if they so choose. Mm and so again, the kind of the thought process and being challenged and thinking led me to really want to dive into and think about this in every element of my life. And it started, I read the book Evicted, which if you're familiar with, with that one, mm-hmm. again, that was based in Milwaukee. So that followed, you know, six or seven families that were potentially on the verge of being evicted for a number of different reasons. And then the gap between the, the landlords that were evicting them. The fact that landlords some of them make an incredible amount of money and are almost to an extent encouraged to evict people and move people as quickly as possible so starting then to think this is happening again right down the block hundreds of people every day are given this notice that says hey you have 24 hours to either give me this money that i know you don't have or your stuff's going to be on the corner and that just Again, that was a starting point, and through then, I would say I've looked back, kind of identified anything from a white privilege standpoint that I was, you know, blessed with, but I also look at then my career path and every industry that I've been in, and what are some of the racist ideology or some of the, you know, discrepancies in each of those. Started in kind of healthcare sales, and we talked a little bit about access to healthcare, the... um, you know, many different things when it comes to healthcare. Then I moved into financial planning software and sales. And the people I worked with were predominantly white. So then it's why are why is the financial advising industry so predominantly white? And then why are their customers, why are people that actually have financial plans primarily white? That all goes back to, you know, who's educating who when it comes to savings and the importance of savings. Is this a gap? in areas that are predominantly um, uh, minority groups? Is there also then the wealth gap? Are certain groups of individuals overall less likely to be able to save? And all these different thoughts, and I would encourage everybody to, to do this and really look at, be it in their personal life and where they work. From there, I moved into cybersecurity sales, even cybersecurity when you look at facial recognition software facial recognition software is much more accurate for white people than people of color. And what that can lead to then is people of color being wrongfully accused or wrongfully arrested, all these things, even something like the Google search bar. If you start to type in a question about a black person, some of those next results are either stating a racist or stereotypical type of answer. And then getting to where where I am now, now I um, handle the sales training for a a wine and liquor distributor, only in the state of Wisconsin. So we as an organization are very predominantly white. We work with an incredibly diverse group of people all across the state though. So we work with any bar, restaurant, liquor store, and grocery store that wants to buy certain brands. Mm And I do think we we do a disservice to the customers that are of a more diverse nature by not fully being able to relate at this point or understand the different challenges, the different obstacles, the different needs that they have. And then that's where um, I started with our diversity inclusion team really tried to take and do a lot of good with that because it's just not something that you know, our company has has typically dealt with. Um, and then with that, that's where I was able to attend an Unlearning Racism course. Uh, I think we <laughs> talked about, about this. It was through the YWCA, it's a great organization, uh, specifically in Milwaukee. And Dynasty Caesar and uh, Martha Berry put on, it was a six week class, um, I really wish that everybody could go through that, anybody and everybody could benefit from that and talk through what is racism, what's the history of it in Wisconsin, what's white privilege, what, is, what can we do to act, and just phenomenal course that that then led to us being able at, at my current role, we started and rolled out just a managing bias training to about 450 people, Now we're highlighting, we're doing right now, a three month highlight of anti-racism resources, each of which has a testimonial from an employee that says, hey, here's why this struck me, here's why this is important, here's the action I hope to take on this, here's why it might help you. And then overall, we're we're looking at really a year, multi-year process, we're looking at a spectrum of how to truly become a multicultural organization um so a lot of big things there but it's just yeah so i rambled there and apologize, but that's
0: yeah no but you covered a lot of i think great bases and i think important to help people recognize and and follow a pathway of how you understand racism and being anti-racist the differences how you've looked at that through the different places that you've worked and integrated that in building upon your own professional and personal career to to, to work against. And I think the YWCA training and taking time to really invest in understanding and learning more, I think there's really real value there. And also the recognition that as a white male and being able to go to other white males and, and really push and encourage and give the inherent value in these things and how it's a, a support for the rest of the community. I think that's great. So everyone, this is uh, Ben Schneider joining me today, um, the barbershop group, great um, nuggets of information about our organization, the work that we're doing, the work that he's doing, all starting with a story about a book bin in your local community. So thanks so much for for taking the time to to join us, to tell us more about you, your work in diversity and inclusion um, with the um, sales company that you're working with now, and also some of the broader um, experiences that you had in understanding um, race and racism and privilege and diversity and inclusion more broadly across the state of Wisconsin. Thanks so much.
1: Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right. You have a good one. You too. Bye.